Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Growing up, I loved the 4th of July. It was summer. I was out of school. There were always the family gatherings. And most of all, the fireworks. And when I got old enough to shoot them off by myself, it was ecstasy. Even at my age, I have a pretty good memory of a lot of 4ths. But when I was 11, I got into more trouble than I want to remember on that holiday. My only sister, 12 years older than I, got married on the 4th of July. To be honest, I resented her wedding. Not that she was getting married and not the guy she was marrying. He was and is a great guy. But I resented her wedding for just one reason. The day they picked, 4th of July. For me, it meant no fireworks. My parents had explained to me, to my 11-year-old mind, that because of the wedding, I wouldn't need any fireworks. A depression set in. Uh, that morning on the 4th, until a guy from our church came over to the house. He'd come over to see my dad, but my parents were so busy that he stopped and chatted with me for a moment. Suddenly, I had a brilliant idea. I said, Chesley, my dad hasn't had time to get fireworks. Could you take me down to the fireworks stand? Well, he was happy to do that for the pastor's son, and I accrued my arsenal, unbeknownst to my parents, of course. About 4.30 that afternoon, my dad took me and some of my cousins, all of us in the wedding, all of us wearing white tux jackets, to the college chapel where my sister was to be married. I had my fireworks down below the seat with me in a nondescript box. I should point out that we had a huge family at the wedding. My dad is the oldest of nine, my mom is the middle of five, and I have cousins by the dozens. (laughs) Well, to make a long story short, when the wedding was over, while the reception was going on, I figured I'd discharged my duty to the wedding party, and I went out to the campus flagpoles and began to set off my fireworks. When suddenly, an angry uncle of mine stormed up to me and informed me that the entire family, all of them, were in position for the family picture and had been for the last 20 minutes, but they'd been hung up because nobody could find me. I don't want to tell you how much trouble I got into. It's memorable. Uh, Let's just say uh, it's it's something that stays with me. Back in May of this year, I I spoke at that college, and I walked by the spot where I set off those fireworks, and even at 64, I still felt the pain. (laughs) The truth is, as much as I love the holiday, I feel pain today. America, the nation I love, the nation I'm a citizen of, is not in a good place. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a whole lot to celebrate, but much of it is in the past. And that's not by any stretch to say that America has been perfect. Far from it. But when I think about the sacrifices of millions of men and women who gave, as Abraham Lincoln put it, the last full measure of devotion for our freedom, celebration, or at least gratitude, is in order. But my greatest pain is the awareness that America is in deep trouble with God. When I was a boy, I heard Billy Graham say back in the 60s that if God didn't judge America, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But here we are 50 years later, and America is Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe worse. 
When I hear about the things that have become mainstream, wicked things, I'm sickened. Let's call it like it is. America has moved so far into wickedness that anyone who has an even moderate view of righteousness is thought to be an extremist. And the worst part is that much of America thinks their wickedness is actually righteousness. And if you stand for truth, then you are the wicked one. But this should not come as a surprise to any of us. Jesus put it this way. He said, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. In other words, if you think you have righteousness and your righteousness is wicked, then how wicked is that wickedness? Well, it's in a world like that that we find ourselves on this Independence Day of 2021. You know, here's the surprise. In many ways, we have so much in common with the first Independence Day in 1776 that we'll be celebrating this week. Before that day, America was a group of colonies that belonged to Great Britain. And frankly, we were being jerked around at the whims of Parliament. The time came where we felt more like vassals than colonists. There was a minority in America who thought, it's time for a change. It's time to rise up and live out our destiny. That's right, a minority. If history proves anything... It's that righteous change never requires the majority. In fact, the majority is usually the reason why change needs to happen. Never get the idea, looking back on our history, that the quest for independence was a consensus. In America, in 1776, a third of the colonists were loyal to Great Britain. That's right. They were for the Redcoats. A third, they just didn't want to rock the boat. And only a third believed in freedom. Only a third, one more time, only a third of Americans believed in independence. But the one thing about that third, and we in our generation can't afford to miss this, they were willing to choose, to commit to that choice. That's what I want to talk about today because it's where we find ourselves. Here's what I'm getting at. It was one thing to believe in independence. It was something else to sign the Declaration, to go on record. The Declaration of Independence that we celebrate this week wasn't anonymously slid under some door. 56 people, full well understanding what they were risking, put everything on the line to sign that document. They put it this way. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And they meant that and stood behind it. History records they paid a high price, but they gave birth to the greatest nation in modern history. Maybe I should point something else out, really, really that's very important. Choices, real choices, are based on convictions. In other words, we make difficult choices because we believe deep in our hearts that there is a truth, an underlying truth worth risking it all for. A minute ago, I told you that two-thirds of Americans were either for Great Britain or sitting on the fence. Those people in those days believed in a form of political correctness that was prevalent at the time. It went something like this. Parliament is the ultimate authority. If Parliament said something was right, it was right. If Parliament said something was good, it was good. If Parliament said something was bad, it was bad. In their way of thinking, Parliament was the final word. 
Even if they lived in an unacceptable circumstance, they just shrugged and went along with political correctness that said, it's Parliament's call. Whatever Parliament says is true. It was the final word. So when Parliament jerked America around, people looked at it as it was their right, or maybe their truth. If Parliament said that America had no right to be independent, two-thirds of Americans said, well, that's just the way it is. But there was a minority that changed everything. They had a different viewpoint. They said, Parliament is not the ultimate authority. Parliament is not the ultimate giver of rights. There's a greater authority who gives us rights. And we look past Parliament and we see him. It was that very belief that gave rise to the most famous words of the document we celebrate this week. And perhaps the greatest words outside the Bible, although they were written based on what the Bible said. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. And that they are endowed by their creator, not parliament. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In their minds, this minority, these signers, these people who were willing to make a choice that risked everything, believed that there was someone infinitely greater than parliament. And based on that conviction, they gave us the first July 4th celebration. Do our leaders in America feel that today? When the creator is banned, that's right, banned from any kind of government expression or public schools. You know what I know. The official story in America is that we got here by accident. Pure naturalism. We evolved from lower life forms, from primordial soup to complex life forms that even with the best of science, we barely understand. No wonder our rights are shrinking at breakneck speed. When a nation loses the creator, as our founders said, they lose the giver of rights, and then they lose the rights. Without the creator, we're right back to where the colonists were before the first 4th of July. Something needs to change. Mark it down. Whenever freedom and blessing come, you can always trace it back to a small group of people or maybe even an individual who was willing to put everything on the line and make unpopular choices based on conviction. Today, it's popular in the Christian world to try to find middle ground between good and evil, between truth and lies, to say, well, I can see it both ways. I'm afraid a lot of American Christianity in this season of darkness could be summed up by the old saying, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. But as New Springers, that's not good enough for us. We know it's time to choose. Have you ever considered that that's the message of the whole Bible? It's not a book about religion. It's a book about choices throughout the Bible. It's one story after another of people who either chose for God or chose for the enemy or refused to choose, which is tantamount to choosing for the enemy. At the beginning, it was Cain and Abel came down to a choice. And at the end, in the tribulation, it'll all come down to a choice, whether to take the mark of the Antichrist or not. There's no middle ground. That's the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between. Let me just pick a few. In the life of Moses, as he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, 
They got discouraged at one point and gave up on God and made a golden calf, an idol, and began to worship it and have an orgy. And when Moses came down from the mountain, having spent time with God, he was devastated to see that God's people had left behind God's ways and had drifted back over to the ways that they had learned from the Egyptians. Now, I want to pick something up because, as I said, the Bible is a book about choices. And so I want you to hear what Moses said to the people as he came down and he found that wild, drunken, idolatrous party. In Exodus 32, verse 25, Moses saw that the people were simply running wild. Aaron had let them run wild, disgracing themselves before their enemies. Now, watch the language in verse 26. He took a position at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is on God's side, join me. That is what our times are calling for today. Our times are begging for a woman who will take a position and stand and say, whoever is on God's side, come and join me. That's the side I'm on. Come go with me. Where is the man who will take a position and not waffle and will stand up as a man of God because he believes in conviction? And say, I am on the Lord's side. Who is out there on the Lord's side who will join me? Moses' successor, Joshua, actually was privileged to lead the people of God into the promised land. And I can tell you, it's a beautiful thing that in Joshua's generation, the people did serve the Lord. But Joshua, as he aged and got close to crossing over, he wanted to leave a message for the future generations. He was afraid that they might, like their ancestors, move away from God and find comfort in the ways of idolatry. And so he gave one final sermon. And it was in that sermon that, well, we come back to this thing about choosing. Joshua said, if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, now that sounds pretty bizarre, but yet when I look at a lot of modern Christianity, it looks to me that American Christians for, well, many American Christians have just about decided that it is a bad thing to serve God. And Joshua said, if you decide it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. As for me and my family, we will worship God. Call the roll, and you'll see it over and over. Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the apostles, and countless others. It was never enough for them to talk about what they believed or to theorize. It came down to going on record and making a choice. Perhaps the clearest picture in the Bible of where we are in 2021 comes from the life of the prophet Elijah. In his day, the people of Israel were waffling back and forth between participating in a wicked culture and nominally serving God. Like so many Christians today, and maybe even some of us, they found comfort in that soft, gooey middle. They could get along with those who hated God by being careful to be politically correct but then they could go to worship and sell themselves that they were still worshipers of Jehovah God. But this settlement they worked out in their minds wasn't recognized in heaven, and it still isn't. Elijah summoned everyone up to Mount Carmel, and he said this, How long are you going to sit on the fence? Hmm, that's a great question. A great question for Mark Hoover. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, then follow him. And if it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Elijah was saying what this message says. It's a time to choose. There's no sense and no reason to waffle. If God is God, even if he's politically incorrect, then worship him and serve him. 
For those of us who believe in the God of heaven, this is our challenge on the 4th of July in 2021. It's not enough for us to say that we believe in God or to sing Christian songs, although those are wonderful things. We have to decide whether we believe in the God who is revealed in Scripture or whether we're going to believe in a God that's made up by our collective imaginations. It's time to choose. Like I said, that's the message of the whole Bible from one end to the other, from Genesis to Revelation. And so much depends on what we decide to do here. Our lives, our families, the lives of the people we influence, and maybe even the country that we celebrate this week. What we decide here may be far greater than what we realize. True, I I know there are so many things we're powerless to change. I've almost gotten to the place where I don't watch the news anymore. There's so many horrific things happening. There's so much wickedness in our world that I can't personally do anything about in my own strength. And I definitely can't influence enough politically to make change. Well, there is a place for politics. There is a place for being good stewards of our citizenship. But even though there's a place for that kind of thing, we need to understand that the greatest impact that we may have on America, of all places, is in our own hearts. And that we can do something about. I want you to listen to the words that came directly from the voice of God himself. Solomon had just dedicated the temple. And the people had had an enormous celebration. And God wanted to come talk to Solomon personally. And God was looking down the corridors of the future. And here's what he said. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or to send plagues among you. Then, if my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins. Look at this. I will restore their land. It's time for choosing. The time for waffling is long gone if there ever was such a time. The time for finding comfort in the soft, gooey middle. If you're a Christ follower, forget about it. If you're not a Christ follower, then either think about being a Christ follower or just as the word of God says, decide if you found a better God who you will serve. If it's the God of political correctness, then just put yourself in its care. And when the time comes that you're in trouble or the time comes to die, then you can ask political correctness to come be your savior. It's time to choose. Of course, there's one choice that's more important than any other. It's the choice that all the other choices are bound into. I think perhaps... The clearest explanation of this comes from, no surprise, Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. 
You know, no choice really makes sense in life until we invite Jesus Christ to become our Savior and Lord. That's the greatest choice of all. Because we invite, when we invite Jesus Christ to come into our life, we become new people. I mean, it's, it's, it's the message of this world that we can improve ourselves this way or that way or with this seminar or with this plan, this program. And there may be some improvement there. But the Word of God doesn't offer self-betterment. It offers a new self. It doesn't offer a better life. It offers new life. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. And Jesus came into our world and that the, he lived a perfect life. And then he laid that perfect life on a Roman cross. And the blood that came out of his body as nails were nailed into him and crown, a th- crown of thorns was piercing his scalp as he hung on the cross and his blood poured out. The Bible says that blood has the power to wash away any sin. And if we choose to accept Jesus, to accept what he did for us, recognizing that we, can't, we cannot earn our way into heaven, if we choose to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, in the, in the courts of heaven, the blood that Jesus shed washes away every sin. Someone will say, well, Mark, how do I know that God isn't going to look back at all of those things that I've done and send me to hell? You know, God, God has more than x-ray vision. He, your, your point is correct. He can look through anything except for one thing. He cannot look through the blood of his son. When the blood of Jesus is applied to your sins, God can't see anything that you've ever done wrong. His vision stops at the blood of his son. And if you put your confidence in that blood that Jesus shed for you, and you ask God to have Jesus be your Savior, all your sins, past, present, and future, are washed away. It is the greatest choice you can make on the 4th of July or any day of the year to invite Jesus to come into your life. The Bible is a book of choices, and this is the ultimate choice. Have you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Have you made this decision? You say, well, Mark, I I sort of believe in Jesus, but I think you also kind of have to, you know, earn it yourself. (laughs) I couldn't earn five minutes in heaven with my best day, with my best year, with all my life. I have to abandon everything I can do and trust completely in the blood of Jesus. If you want to do that today, you can do it. Whether you're here on the campus of New Spring or watching on television or watching online, it doesn't matter. God God is right there with you wherever you are. You, You may be watching this from a prison cell, but he's right there with you. You could be watching from a hospital room. He's right there with you. As the Word of God says, He's not far from any of us. He's just looking for you to choose Jesus. I'm going to lead you in prayer, and these aren't magic words, but if you'd like to join me, I'll say these words slowly so that you can decide if you'd like to say them. Here we go. Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner, and I cannot save myself, but I believe Jesus came into the world to live a perfect life, and die for me on the cross 
I believe he shed his blood and I believe he arose from the grave and because he's alive, I want Jesus to be my savior and my king. I choose Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.